guys. Welcome back to the Thrillogy Podcast. My name's Morgan, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Krista. And I'm Cameron. Before I dive into today's episode, I want to encourage everyone to please go check out the article that I based my research from. It's on food52.com, and of course, we'll link it on our website, thrillogypodcast.com, and it will also be in the show notes. So today, we will be talking about Princess Pamela. Princess Pamela owned a soul food restaurant in the 1960s called The Little Kitchen. This is not like any ordinary restaurant. And before I get into the mystery of this episode, I want to paint a picture for you of what Princess Pamela was like and what The Little Kitchen was like. The Little Kitchen was located inside her railroad apartment in an Alphabet City walk-up. And it was one floor above a Chinese takeout place. So Krista, as our resident New Yorker, do you mind explaining what exactly a railroad apartment is? Sure. So basically, a railroad apartment, to my understanding, is a more narrow-styled apartment where the rooms line up almost like a railroad car would. They would line up. Um, So you have to walk through each room to get to the next so it's kind of hard to have roommates because oftentimes you have to walk through like a bedroom to get to a more important room like a kitchen or a living space. So like almost as if like I'm visualizing it as like almost like a trailer turned apartment. Yeah, basically like super narrow. Like the rooms line up, like I said, almost like train carts. Picture it that way. Perfect. So just imagine that as her living space slash restaurant. So anyway, Princess Pamela didn't let just anyone into her restaurant. Customers would buzz her apartment, apartment 2A, and she would peek out and interrogate the potential customer. She would ask things like, who are you? Where are you from? And they'd get bonus points if they were from the South like she was. Sometimes she didn't have to ask any questions at all and made a decision just by looking at them. If she knew you, you probably would just be able to shout her name from the street outside her apartment, and she'd throw down a key for you to get in. Now, as you're probably already imagining by this kind of quirky story, if Princess Pamela let you in, that was like hitting the lottery. Now, before I go any further, I want to encourage you to truly imagine this space as I'm describing it. As I said, her apartment was tiny. The restaurant portion of her apartment was about 120 square feet, which is about the size of a 10-foot by 11-foot room. I don't know if those were the dimensions, but that's the size we're dealing with here, the size of a bedroom, basically. It had metal ceilings, deep blue walls, black refrigerators, checked shamrock green tablecloths, Jewish memorial candles, and dilapidated chairs that were donated by people in the neighborhood. She could fit about 15 people in there at a time, but squeezing a ton of people into her tiny space was not her motivation. She was all about quality over quantity, and she truly loved her customers. In fact, she treated her customers as guests in her home, not as just customers at her restaurant. Over time, her walls became covered with portraits of famous people who had eaten at her restaurant. A few of those patrons included the Rothschilds, Ringo Starr, and Diana Ross. If you were lucky enough to get into Princess Pamela's restaurant, Ada Spivy, the little kitchen's cook, would come take your order. 
The article that I did my research from describes Ada as meek and spindly. The menu would change based on Princess Pamela's mood, but some of her most common dishes were, you know, the classic Southern dishes like sweet potatoes and collard greens. Like I mentioned before, Princess Pamela treated her customers like house guests. And with that, she also expected them to behave as such. If you went to the bathroom without being asked to be excused, she would walk right into the bathroom and drag you back out. And if you complained about anything at all, let's say you thought the chairs were too wobbly, Princess Pamela would get angry and tell Ada to hurry up and feed you so she could get you out as soon as possible. As you can imagine, if you talked back to her at all, you were also banished entirely. However, on the flip side of all of this, if you formed a connection with Princess Pamela, you were treated like a true VIP. In fact, if she liked you and you ended up staying late, she'd lock the door, turn away anyone else who buzzed in, and would tell them that the restaurant was closed. Then she'd slink away into one of the back rooms and reemerge wearing a red wig and a tight gold dress. Then the lights would dim and the little kitchen would turn into a jazz lounge. She'd have percussionists and she would sing. As I said, Princess Pamela was a true sensation and was actually dubbed the doyenne of soul food for New York. People called her this not only because there were very few soul food restaurants in Manhattan, but also because this was a time where being black, being a woman, and being Southern were big handicaps for her career. Not only, of course, did she defy all of these odds, um, and her amount of success was honestly unprecedented, but she also released a wildly popular cookbook titled Princess Pamela's Soul Food Cookbook. You might be wondering why we're talking about Princess Pamela at all. Well, first of all, I truly just think her story is fascinating, and I thought we could use a break from some of our more gruesome cases. However, there's still quite a bit of mystery to her story that intrigued me. In 1998, Princess Pamela inexplicably closed her restaurant and disappeared. This led people to start digging into who Princess Pamela truly was. So before we get into her disappearance, let's talk about what we do know about her. Interestingly enough, even her birth name was not clear. She told people her name was Pamela Strobel, but now people think not even that's true. It's likely she was born Addie Mae Strobel, like her grandma, but there's also a chance that her name was Mary. Census records are unclear and honestly not helpful in figuring it out either. One thing we do know for certain is that she was born in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and she mentions this time and time again in her famous cookbook, but also everyone that went to her restaurant, she, she told them as well. So let's talk a little bit about her childhood. Cooking was in her blood. Her mother, whose name was Rosella, but went by beauty, was the head pastry chef at Spartanburg's Elite Restaurant. And Beauty's brother, who Pamela called Uncle Isaac, was also a pastry chef. Unfortunately, Pamela never knew her father, and soon after she was born, her mother moved to Boston for a job. Beauty left Pamela with Grandma Addie, Beauty's mother. 
Addie was very loving, but also at the same time was very strict. Every Sunday, Addie took Pamela to church. Then they'd come home, read the Bible, and eat milk-baked ham and soda biscuits. Addie's home was a community hub. People would often just drop by to experience her hospitality. Most of the guests were women Addie called play mamas, who gave Addie's granddaughter different names, one of which was Pamela. Even though her mother had dreams of Pamela becoming a doctor or a concert pianist, Pamela always wanted to own her own restaurant. She'd play pretend and cook for her two dolls on a small toy stove. She'd joke that the chubby doll was the one that liked her food. As you can tell, she had quite the personality even from a young age. At Sunday school, she heard the story of Noah's Ark and reflected later in her cookbook saying, I couldn't help thinking how he could have opened up quite a place on the Ark and had all that animal meat and no butcher bill. Anyway, Pamela's mother, Beauty, supported both Pamela and Addie however she could, even with her very little income. Unfortunately, she got sick with a terminal illness and returned to Spartanburg to die when Pamela was only 10. And just a year later, unfortunately, Grandma Addie died as well. So since Pamela didn't know her father, she had no other family left in Spartanburg. She was small but determined and boarded a bus to North Carolina. She wore her hair in three pigtails and had nothing on her besides her mother's suitcase and a diamond watch. She begged for a job and became a helping hand at the corner restaurant at a tobacco plant. Her main task was dishwashing, but once she finished that, she was able to cook, which of course was always her passion. She made things like pork chops, steaks, gravy, and coleslaw. A few years later, she moved to Virginia and began working at a mobile kitchen. Through that job, she met Vici Dubois, who was a redheaded West Indian shake dancer. The two became friends, and in 1950, they made their way to New York City, where they were roommates. Pamela worked at a chemical factory during the day, and at night worked at the same restaurant that her roommate danced at. The next 15 years are a little fuzzy, meaning there's not too much documentation on what she was doing during that time, but we do know that Princess Pamela decided to open her restaurant in 1965. She barely had any money at all and began pooling money from her Jewish and Italian friends in the neighborhood. She is quoted saying, I've been close to Jewish people and Italians all my life. There's the kind of love in them that comes of being hurt and healed a thousand times. Anyway, she used the money from those friends to buy some chickens and greens from a nearby grocery store. She then visited a printer in East Village to create a business card for her. He also suggested some names for her, one being Princess Pamela. She loved the sound of it, so it stuck, and she truly ran with it. She then opened the little kitchen. The restaurant opened at 5 p.m. and would close whenever she felt like it. The vision behind the restaurant was always to keep it a neutral territory and keep a mutual respect for each other. She welcomed strangers into her home with the same enthusiasm and energy as her grandma Addie and would treat them as her friends. She said, like Monaco, this is going to be Princess Pamela's kingdom come and only passport anyone is going to need is love and kindness and a good appetite for soul cooking. 
In the Little Kitchen's early years, word traveled fast about the restaurant, and by 1969, she had published her cookbook. I'm trying to wonder what her neighbors must have thought because having lived in an apartment building, I can't imagine someone running an after-hours jazz club out of their (laughs) railroad apartment and a a restaurant that cooks very, very, like, rich food. Like, soul food is very aromatic, especially from frying. So I'm just very curious. And then even in the city, like, people complain when people make their apartments commercial spaces so before you had said in 1998 she disappeared, I was like wondering what time period is this? Because there's no way it's recent. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah, it's in the 60s. Like when she opened her restaurant in the 60s, and it's so funny to envision this tiny apartment that one during the day is a restaurant, and then two at night she has like a full percussion section and she's singing. <laughs> <laughs> That's so wild. There are so many stories throughout this article from famous people and their experiences at the Little Kitchen, but I'll just share one because I thought it was especially funny. This story comes from Ruth Rachel, which I'm definitely butchering that pronunciation. So if you guys know how to pronounce that, please tell me. Um, But she is a famous American chef. So Ruth recalls going to the restaurant with her friend from out of town. When they arrived, they were greeted by a wiry woman with many missing teeth. Ruth recalls she looked like she drank more than she ate. You know that look? She continued recalling her time at the little kitchen and said that they were somewhat disappointed by the menu options. By this time, Princess Pamela had published her cookbook and Ruth was hoping to try some of those dishes. She says her friend asked Pamela if she had any sweet potato pie on the menu. Pamela responded, No, I don't have any sweet potato pie. Her friend made a joke along the lines of, what kind of southern restaurant doesn't have sweet potato pie? And without skipping a beat, Princess Pamela kicked the group out. In 1989, Princess Pamela moved her restaurant to a slightly bigger storefront. So as we were just talking about, late at night, she would turn her restaurant into a jazz lounge. You know, dim the lighting, change outfits, and again, have a full percussion section. Well, at this point in time, Princess Pamela was so famous that her performances became the restaurant's main attraction, not her food. People said that Princess Pamela's singing conveyed both the pain and joy of her life. Other than through her singing, she was very guarded and didn't share many personal stories. Again, there are many quotes in this article from people reminiscing about her singing and just about her personality in general. So please be sure to check out this article if you're curious. Now that I've caught you up to speed on Princess Pamela's life, let's talk a little bit about her disappearance. In 1998, nine years after she moved her restaurant to that bigger storefront, she abruptly closed the restaurant and disappeared. Before I get into the leading theories, I wanted to ask you guys, what do you think happened? I would say that just because she's been on her own for so long, it seemed like since she was about 11 that she's just kind of like like a free spirit or like a transient and she just shut down and was like, eh, on to the next thing. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like she just up and I mean, I think too, you, you mentioned that she, it was it's very unclear even on census records what her name is so i feel like somebody who's just kind of been changing their identity their entire life could easily get up and just 
disappear and start over somewhere else. Absolutely. And it's clear, you know, her main passion was food, but then she had this, you know, new or like secondary passion of singing and music. So I could see that happening. She's just done with the restaurant and decides to move on with a different passion. So the first theory that this article cites, and I'll share with you, is that at some point, Princess Pamela might have lost her mind and decided to go home to South Carolina. People say that because with fame, it's not too uncommon for people to get overwhelmed and essentially lose their minds. Um, She might have just been done and wanted to go home. So what do you guys think about this theory? Uh, I don't know if she was overwhelmed by that because it seemed like with like her quote unquote fame that she still had a lot of control and boundaries. I mean, she may not let you into her unit. She may kick you out. So I don't think that for someone with those type of boundaries that isn't being bombarded, I feel like I can't picture them getting overwhelmed. I'm not them, but I'm just saying. Yeah, I think when I first read this theory, I was thinking maybe the only truth to it could be like she was tired of people at this point not really coming for her food and was maybe tired of, you know, them just coming for the show or, you know, her personality. But like you said, I feel like she did have strong boundaries. And also it seemed like she loved the spotlight. Like she had a whole – thing going where she had a wig a whole outfit like an outfit chain like she loved the spotlight so i don't know if i could see her getting overwhelmed either the second theory that this article mentions is that princess pamela didn't own the restaurant legally there are some people who claim that the last time princess pamela was seen her restaurant was surrounded by policemen there is no proof of this of course but that is what some people claim This kind of ties back into what you were saying, Krista, about having or running a restaurant out of her apartment. So maybe it was being operated illegally. But what do you guys think of this theory? Eh, Illegal food service isn't going to land you in jail for life. She would have been back at the very least to get her belongings. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I mean, and two, it's also it's like, I don't know, at this point, like it's been going on for so long. I don't know. It just seems really improbable unless she was operating the restaurant illegally uh, it seems i would assume uh so if she was only accepting cash and making income without paying taxes and was evading taxes for decades uh, yeah then someone's gonna wind up at her door but again not necessarily worthy of a life sentence unless you're so embarrassed that you don't want to return and you say screw the stuff but that could also be another reason that policemen or some type of authority were surrounding her i would assume she's only taking cash and not paying taxes on it that's true but my thought with that was like she published this cookbook back in the 60s like she was well known like she was famous if she were evading taxes or like was having a problem with the law it's just i don't know it seems like a long time for them not to catch up to her so the third theory is that princess pamela simply got sick and passed away people claim that she had gained some weight and showed some signs of fraying health however interestingly enough there are no death records or obituaries of a woman who went by any of her names to support this or anyone that kind of fit her persona. So 
What do you guys think about this theory? Uh, well, I mean, 70's not that old, but given her history, like she's had a not I want I don't want to say a traumatic life and put that on her, but she's definitely had a life where she's been working for so long that maybe 70 isn't that old. I mean, maybe 70 is old, I'm sorry. But I mean, I guess it goes with the New York narrative that people do truly mind their business and she could have a million neighbors and no one would notice if someone passed away, unfortunately. I'm nosy. I'd probably notice a different neighbor, but probably that's most likely out of the three that you've mentioned so far. The other thing I was thinking of, too, is, I mean, she's making Southern soul food, which isn't exactly healthy, right? So maybe years and years of of being in the restaurant. I mean, obviously, she lived in this place, too. So I can only imagine that this is probably what she ate most of the time, right? So maybe she did get sick or, you know, had some sort of heart attack or stroke or, you know, something along those lines. Who knows? That's true. It's just funny to me. Like, she closed her restaurant. It's not like she just, like, she had all of her stuff there and, like, she personally disappeared and that was it. Like, she was up and gone. Her stuff was gone. The restaurant was closed. Like, that was it. So... I could see maybe she was sick and like she was such a private person that she didn't want people to see her suffer and like then maybe she moved. But I don't think I don't think it's like super likely that just all of a sudden she passed away and that was that. Like like I said, maybe she found out she was sick and decided to move. So because she disappeared before the era of quote hyper surveillance Locating her or finding more information on her and her disappearance is incredibly difficult. People have called nursing homes, studied census records, and even enlisted professional librarian and historian for help. Their searches came up with absolutely nothing. The good news is Princess Pamela's cookbook is being reprinted and recirculated, so people are hoping that this will spread awareness about her and will help bring a much-needed spark to the search. This article also makes a great point in saying that it's all too common for Black voices and stories through history to be diminished. Specifically, in the food industry, food media tends to not focus on Black stories. And Princess Pamela was not the only one. To their point, it's crazy that a woman who defied all odds and was this wildly successful woman during her time vanished without a trace, and no one really followed up with it. And now, 23 years later, most people don't know anything about her. So with that, I wanted to hear your final thoughts on all this. I don't know. I've said this so many episodes that I feel like it's so interesting when people just disappear without a trace, whether it's, an, you know, unfortunately kidnapping or they just don't want to be found. I don't care what era it is. It's still just amazing. So it's just crazy, I should say. Um, I'm wondering, too, like I, I'm having trouble, like, doing the math in my head, but she could have had children too that she just decided to like go settle with or a man somewhere go settle with. People don't really know much about her personal life either. So one would wonder. That's true too. I mean, at the time of her disappearance, she was 70, but maybe she did have a family people didn't know about and she just was done and wanted to spend time with them. I also wonder, and maybe you know the answer to this, how much do people actually try to look for her? Like, I yeah, know. Yeah, well, that's the thing. At the time, like, people who knew her or, like, 
like I said, she was a she owned a famous restaurant. Like people yeah. were like, where did she go? They were really curious. But from what I understand, like there was no big search. There was no police action. There was no yeah. they, well, the people other, knew about it. But the other thing yeah. too is like, I mean, yeah, you you know, we say that she owns this famous restaurant and that would make people question it, but I don't know. Like, I guess I try to think about some like of my favorite restaurants and if all of a sudden they just disappeared, I mean, I'd be like, oh, that's weird. I wonder where they went. But like, I'm not actively going to search for them. You know, I mean, obviously, it's it's probably a very different relationship than what some of her like usual customers had with her because it was such a like a hands on experience. But even so, I'm not going to look for somebody, you know, just because I go to their restaurant. You know what I mean? That's true, too. And it's almost like the bystander effect at that point. Yeah, like you assume somebody else is like, ah, whatever. Exactly. She's so famous. So many people love her and love her restaurant. You just like you were saying, assume someone else is looking for her. But anyway, thank you, everyone, for listening and for joining us today. You can find photos of Princess Pamela and the link to this article on our website, ThrillGPodcast.com. We release new episodes every Monday, and each week we post two clues leading up to our next episode. The first clue is that next week we are going to the last frontier. Be sure to check out our Instagram for the second clue later this week. Thanks again for listening, and as always, you can keep up with all things Thrilogy on social media at at ThrilogyPod and make story requests on ThrilogyPodcast.com.